This is a legacy episode of the Lesbian Historic Motif podcast, originally released as part of the Lesbian Talk Show podcast group. Some references may be obsolete. The show looks at lesbian-relevant themes in history and literature, has interviews and discussions about current historical fiction with queer female characters, including fantastic versions of the past, and presents new original historical fiction for your enjoyment. Today, the Lesbian Historic Motif podcast is delighted to talk to Catherine Duckett, whose debut novel, Miranda in Milan, follows the life of Shakespeare's character Miranda from The Tempest after the conclusion of the events of the play. Welcome, Catherine. Hello. Happy to be here. Catherine has had short fiction published in Uncanny, Apex, Pseudopod, and Interzone. I've invited her onto the Lesbian Historic Motif podcast because Miranda in Milan falls at the intersection of historic settings and queer women. Why don't you tell us something about the story? Sure. So as you mentioned, this is a story that unfolds after the events of The Tempest. So at the very end of The Tempest, the events of the play have been resolved and they're off to Italy, presumably for Prospero to be reinstalled as Duke of Milan and for Miranda to live happily ever after with her Prince Ferdinand. And in my story, things don't quite go that way. They do end up back in Italy, but Prospero brings Miranda to Milan, and there she uncovers a lot of secrets about her own past, learns more about where she comes from, and also where she's going, who she is as a person, which she's never really gotten the chance to explore before. Mm -hmm. So what was it about the story of Miranda that made you want to follow her further? I think actually the reason I was so intrigued by Miranda is we're given so little of her in a way in the play. She's never really given space to speak for herself. She's very much under Prospero's thumb the entire time. He has most of the lines in the play and is constantly just instructing her and telling her what she should think and that things are this way and that way. And you have to remember that, you know, if you're viewing this character as a real young woman, she's been raised alone on this island with only her father telling her how the world is. And the only other person on the island, Caliban, she's been told that he's this terrible, awful creature. So she and she's also literally never met any other women. (laughs) And so I think that as a queer woman, that really caught my imagination because I was thinking, wow, what if this character is queer and she gets out into the world and she sees other women for the first time? You know, that just would be an incredibly, uh, I think, complicated experience. So that was the germ of the story for me. It it would be a complicated experience even if she were straight because... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the the lack of socialization models is just astounding. And and Prospero, he's he's very much a, a puppet master figure. So as you say, Miranda is yeah. it's like she's his creation in the play and, yeah. and doesn't have an existence of her own. Very much so. And I think expanding that idea to Europe at the time, you obviously had this real segregation of the sexes, you know, these mm-hmm. different 
gendered spaces. And so Miranda would very much then end up in a society where she was relating to other women for the first time, talking to other women for the first time, hearing their experience of the world. And so that was a very powerful notion to me that really only having been given this one worldview, it would completely explode her notion of what the world was. So Shakespeare is pretty notorious for playing fast and loose with geography and history. So in, in spinning a tale based on one of his works, did you feel equally free to play around with the details of history or were you aiming for a Milan that was more of a real world, it's 16th century you're using, right? Yes, yeah. yes. So I actually did a combination of things. I think I wanted to keep myself a little more on the path than <laughs> might have stayed also because I have access actually to, you know, more text than he would have had and, you know, more of a sense of what life would have been like at that time. But I did want to also keep that sense of Shakespeare's Italy uh, and the way that he saw Italy and also the magic he brought in. Obviously, mm. that is a huge component. Yeah, if, it, if it's not magic, it's not the Tempest. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So there is a there is a fantasy element. But yeah, I was very much working within the 1500s, looking at this taking place around the early part of the century. And I bring in some elements from later, but trying not to have anything that was an obvious anachronism. So uh, what's also interesting about the Tempest is you have Prospero who and his brother Antonio, who are these dueling rulers of Milan, appear to be, for all intents and purposes, Italian from, you know, an Italian family. But at Shakespeare's time, actually, Milan had fallen under the rule of the Spanish Habsburgs. So actually, the Tempest itself is a real throwback in history to, I think, this romantic notion of these Italian rulers um, in this Italian dynasty. Yeah. So... I kind of ran with that idea and used the period of the uh, the House of Sforza as my jumping off point. So that was sort of what I modeled Prospero's reign after and maybe the family that Miranda is entering into. And that's where I started a lot of my research. I ended up spending quite a lot of time on, there's a great, um, anyone who wants to go down this rabbit hole, there's a fantastic uh, website for Sephora's a castle that I was on quite a lot um, because it has a ton of history about the castle, but also uh, you can explore it. You can literally go down hallways and see different rooms. And that's, that was my starting point. But then actually I was able last summer to go to Milan and see the castle. And that's incredible to get to, to line it up with all this research I'd done. So that was my, that was my setting. So it sounds like you're uh, very fond of going down research rabbit holes. What's your general historic background? Um, Is history always been a love for you, or did you get into it specifically for this novel? Uh, It's always definitely been a fascination for me. I uh, have always been primarily a fiction writer. That's what I studied in college. Uh, So I'd say a lot of what I have the historical research I've done has been for creative projects. So it's a little bit going down these particular rabbit holes for Uh the purpose of a project. But I've also always been someone who loves historical fiction and is fascinated by history. And this actually, this story in particular came out of a class 
that I took in college. That was, we studied the Tempest in the context Mm -hmm. of really colonialism and the rise Mm -hmm. of empire. And uh, a terrific class, race, empire, and the Renaissance stage at Hampshire College. And that was, so it was very much situated in a historical context when I first began to go deep on this play. Uh Uh-huh. That sounds like a fabulous class. It was. was. (laughs) When you decided, and maybe decided is the wrong word, but when you decided that your story would draw Miranda into a queer relationship, and uh, a relationship, as I understand it, with a woman of color, how did you approach depicting that? What were the challenges? The major challenge in the research is that we have very little information about queer relationships between women at that time. A lot of the information was never recorded or might have been destroyed. I actually, one of the texts that I was using at the time to get a sense of the period was uh, Walter Isaacson's terrific biography of Leonardo da Vinci. So um, da Vinci spent a large amount of his time in Milan and of course is this queer figure about whom actually we know quite a lot. We know, you know, who he lived with, who he was in relationships with. There, there are these documents and there is that history. And we really lack that for most women of the time because women were so marginalized to begin with. And as um, you noted earlier, men's and women's lives were very separate and distinct. And, yes. and the situations that applied to a man like da Vinci would might be irrelevant to women's lives. Yes, exactly. And actually, it's it's interesting, you know, obviously, the way that homosexuality was seen in Italy at the time was uh, sometimes it was actually, for men, a very free experience. And there was actually kind of a flourishing of gay culture. And then there would come these crackdowns and this persecution and these legal ramifications, of which, again, we have records. So you're actually able to see what was happening. And what's interesting is actually women, lesbianism was not prosecuted in that way on that scale. Yeah. Uh, in fact, often because it just wasn't seen, it, it, it might not just be seen at all, but it also wasn't seen as serious because in a way women's relationships just weren't seen as having that same gravity and that same importance. Yeah, depending on what the women were doing, it might not even be seen as sexual. Exactly, exactly. And actually, it definitely wasn't. That came up in my research that essentially, unless there was some phallic representation at all, it wasn't seen as a sexual relationship. The other part of my question, so, and I'm going by the book blurbs and a couple of reviews, as I understand it, the woman that Miranda is involved with, um, she's a servant and a woman of color. And what, what did that bring into the equation here? Yes. So... Part of what I wanted to bring into this story was not only a sense of the history that we have and the way that we view that time, but the gaps in history. Mm -hmm. There's so much that is unknown. There's so much that is lost. And this character in particular is a a witch, you know, very mm-hmm. much speaking to the the context of the Tempest. She's someone who practices magic. Uh, she probably identifies as a witch. But if you, you know, know your history of early modern Europe at that time, that is not a comfortable thing to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was at that time already in Lombardy, you were seeing witch trials, but uh, you really wouldn't see the 
uh, it reached the fever pitch until the middle of that century. And so that, to me, it's not explicit in the book, but that is some of the history that was, I think, hanging over the story was this sense that, you know, these women are under constant threat in a way just because being a woman who was in any way different at that time could very much put you under threat of of death, quite Mm -hmm. literally. And so many women were killed during that time, and also so much history was lost. So many texts were lost and expurgated. So I really wanted to bring that in. And then, then the other element is that Miranda's love interest is a Moorish woman. I That term is used in the book because mm-hmm. it was the term that would be used at the time. But uh, in the book, I make it clear that that term was really just used as an othering term. Mm-hmm. It's, it was applied to many different people at many different times and it really was just used as a line to demarcate you know us from yes, them yes so part of this character's history is that she was born in marrakesh lived in spain and again if you know your history of spain at that time and andalusia that would have been a time of immense persecution and also immense loss of Arabic writings. Um, That was, there were huge bonfires and just destruction on a massive scale, Arabic histories Mm -hmm. and writings. So this character, her mother is actually, was a poet who was writing in Arabic and many, many of her writings at that time when they were living in Spain were lost. And the reason that I wanted to bring in that character specifically was the heart of the Tempest is, you know, we see it as the story of Prospero, but the uh, the other underlying story that we often don't explore as deeply, and some creators have, is obviously Sycorax and Caliban. Yeah. You know, Sycorax is the witch who came from Algiers, who was living on the island and gave birth to her son Caliban and Caliban is really the only person left to speak on behalf of his mother. Uh-huh. Uh, but he's a male character. You know, we don't have any, she can't speak for herself. Her legacy has been erased. And Prospero disparages her even after death and is really the person who speaks for her as well. So I wanted to, to bring in a lot of that idea that the Tempest is so much about a man narrating his <laughs> Yes. But he's really the one left standing, and so we we don't know. We've lost so much of the real story of Sycorax, and so to, the, to contrast that, we have in the character of Dorotea, Doria, to a, a contrast with that loss. You know, the idea that yes, her mother's writings were lost, and yes, some of her mother's history was lost, but it lives on in her daughter who is uh-huh. determined to protect that legacy and speak for her mother. Wonderful. So I wanted to jump tracks here a little bit because when I was looking up your information to prepare for the interview, I noticed that you are currently the fiction editor for the special issue of Uncanny Magazine, Disabled People Destroy Fantasy. That's right. And my listeners, because this this show is primarily aimed at the lesbian fiction uh, audience, and they probably are not as familiar with that series as you and I are, so let me give them a little background. Uh, This is a 
ongoing loose series of anthologies that's been sponsored by different publications. Started out several years ago with the theme anthology, Women Destroy Science Fiction, which turned a misogynistic complaint into a tongue-in-cheek theme of a wildly successful Kickstarter campaign, spread out to include women destroying fantasy and horror. And then the initial series was followed by similar series of anthologies with queers destroying all the genres, and then people of color destroying the genres, and the current series is disabled people destroying science fiction, fantasy, and horror. I assume there's a horror one, too. I think I've only seen the other two. Yeah. Uh, well, no, there's not a disabled people destroying horror yet, but there were other uh-huh. anthologies, yes, of people destroying horror. And yeah. in each case, the anthology focuses on the voices of the group in question, not necessarily characters and topics uh, from those themes. But what I'm fascinated by is you're in the middle of editing this anthology at the same time that your debut novel is coming out. And what is that like? Yes, yes. And I should note that the book is actually a novella, but it's, um, yeah, so it's my debut novella. But okay. <laughs> yeah, it it's actually been great. You know, I think it's, it's obviously kind of an overwhelming time when your first book comes out. So it's actually been really, really great to be able to focus on this other project. I'm so excited about this uh, anthology. I was lucky enough to have a story in Disabled People Destroy Science Fiction, and that was just an incredible experience to get to work with that editor. Um, so I, I you know, couldn't be more thrilled to be involved and to see all the work that's coming in. I'm just, we're, we're in the middle of submissions right now, Um, and open for a little while longer. And it's been incredibly exciting to see what's come in so far. Ah, yeah. Any other upcoming projects or publications that you're working on you'd like to tell the listeners about? Uh, Yes, so actually by strange coincidence, uh, (laughs) I have a story coming out in an um, anthology that publishes the same day as Miranda and Ah. Ron. So that's the Sharp and Sugar Tooth anthology coming out from Upper, uh, upper Rubber Boot Press. A little bit they of a designed that as a tongue twister, didn't they? <laughs> so yes, that is a great, it's, gonna, it's shaping up to be a terrific anthology. It's um, the, the a takeoff, the idea was basically food and horror. Um, oh. And so I have a story in there that's a queer enchanted bakery tale, oh. basically. So, yeah, I'm very excited about that. Bakeries seem to be popular settings somehow, or either that or I've just been noticing them. Yeah, yeah. So if people wanted to follow you on social media, where should they look? So you can find me on Twitter at K-E-K Duckett, and that's really the best place to connect with me. You can also visit my website, katherineduckett.com, send me a message there. I love hearing from readers and other writers as well. So I'll put links to all of those and all of the publications we discussed in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining us today at the Lesbian Historic Motif podcast, Catherine. Thank you, Heather. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Lesbian Historic Motif podcast. See the show notes for links to people and topics. Most shows will have a transcript linked as well. If you have a book announcement, a topic suggestion, or might like to appear on the show, please drop me an email. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate it and subscribe on your favorite podcast app, and consider supporting our Patreon 